mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh... Back here, after a few minutes away, I was missing it. Uh, yeah, we get to uh, look at uh, this final passage in Ephesians today, and I get the privilege of speaking about it. Uh, how about I pray for us, and then we will get into it. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you that we get to hear from you. I pray that you'll help me to speak about it well, to say what you want me to say, I pray that all of us will uh, be changed by what you are saying to us. We'll be able to live the way that you call us to. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in uh, 1943, in World War II, uh, there was uh, a group of uh, American and Canadian forces who decided that it was time to liberate an island called Kiska Island, which is uh, on the Aleutian chains of, chain of islands. They've been, the Japanese have been uh, holding it for quite a while, and they thought, it's time, we're going to take it. So to prepare, they, uh, they started a bombing campaign for weeks beforehand. They dropped leaflets onto the island saying in Japanese, we're coming, you better go because we are coming. And then it was time to invade. And so they invaded the island under heavy fog and they spent two days working their way through the island, uh, regularly under heavy fire from the enemy. Uh, there were lots of casualties. There were rumours of elusive Japanese snipers. 
And then at the end of these two days of fighting, they got to, they'd covered the whole island and they discovered that they had gone through the island and not discovered a single Japanese soldier on the island. The entire time they had been there, they had been just fighting with themselves. The Japanese had left weeks earlier and they were stuck uh, in a battle together. And I tell you this because uh, we are at this point uh, at the end of the book of Ephesians and we, it's kind of like we are at the climax of the book where this is where Paul is like, here's how you put everything together. And if you are in uh, Ephesus at the time that you're reading this and you're contending with how do you live in this world where you have many people who are against you and against your faith and how do you live in this world where there are all these spiritual forces and how do you, uh, how do you live uh, knowing that you are a follower of God but, but you know, how do you face it knowing that everything is aligned against you? And one of the, what we see in this passage is that Paul is making clear who the enemy is and how you stand against the enemy. And the first thing that we, one of the first things we see in verse 12, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what's going on there is that what Paul is saying is saying that your enemies are not other human beings. Your enemies are not necessarily the people you think are your enemies. And you can find that you see the people who seem to be attacking you and you can fight against them, but you're fighting the wrong enemy. You are stuck in the fog of war like you are a soldier on Kiska Island. You're fighting the people who you shouldn't be fighting. Saying your enemies are people who are not other humans. It is Satan and all his demons, all the rulers who are set against you and God's people and God's plans. These spiritual forces are your true enemies. Your enemy is not the person who is uh, your neighbor, not the person living next door to you, not the person sitting across the table from you, not the person who cut you off in traffic, not the person who is uh, annoying at school, not the person who is your boss at work who you wish you could just quit on straight away. Your true enemy uh, is Satan and his minions. And you might hear this and be like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this Satan idea. Like, you know, we don't always feel all that comfortable with the idea of Satan. And, uh, and I think partly the issue might be that we have this picture of Satan that we've been given uh, sometimes through the media or sometimes through uh, other Christians who uh, like to talk about Satan and all the things that he does. But the, what Satan does is not often the things that we imagine that he is doing. Uh, if your image of Satan comes from movies, then you might be thinking Satan is someone who possesses people and makes them walk up walls and their heads spin around and vomit things, or Satan possesses dolls that go and kill people. But this is not the work of Satan most of the time. As far as I know, he's not possessed any dolls to go and kill people. But what Satan does, what we see in the Bible, is he's much more sinister. He's much more sneaky in the way that he does things. Uh, what we see is that the Bible talks about what Satan does and most of what he does is just insert lies into things and accusations into things. And he remains hidden so that we don't even believe that he is there 
Because if we don't believe that He is there, then we believe that the, where all the evil in this world comes from is just all the people who are around us. And so they can become our enemies and we can ignore Him. And sometimes we don't like the idea of Satan uh, just because we don't like the idea of this, this malevolent spiritual force in the world. But if we are willing to believe in an entirely good spiritual force in God, then why can't we believe in an entirely evil spiritual force? And so we need to be aware of what Satan does. We need to be aware of his schemes. If we're going to be strong in the Lord and in God's mighty power, if we're going to do this, we first need to know about what our enemy is doing. And so what does the Bible tell us? Well, the first thing we see Satan doing in the Bible in the, right at the beginning, in, in Genesis chapter 3, he comes in and he starts inserting lies into things or half-truths into things, into, God, into humans' relationships with God. In John 8, 44, uh, Jesus says this about Satan. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a, a long passage about Satan, and it says this about him. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He likes to lie to us about who God is and what he has done. He likes to lie to us about who we are and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. He likes to accuse us and tell us that we are not worthy of God's love, not worthy of other people. He likes to accuse us and tell us uh, that we are people who deserve everything that's coming to us. He likes to tempt us to sin and say we deserve everything we can and then when we fall into sin to tell us we're the worst people ever. He likes to do whatever he can uh, to, uh, to, to take away from God anything that might be uh, good, anything that might be part of his achievements in the world. And we might wonder why he's doing this. And in Revelation 12, it tells us that he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. What we read in the Bible is that Jesus has won every spiritual victory. If you think of anyone who has won anything, uh, Jesus has won more than that. God has beaten it. Uh, we see in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died, it looked like God had been defeated. But it was in that moment of Jesus' death that he was taking all the punishment for our sin all the curse of sin that Satan had tried to infect the world with, he took upon himself and then he rose again three days later, defeating death, defeating sin and bringing resurrection to us so that we might be made children of God. Satan is defeated and so he will do everything he can uh, to inflict harm on God's uh, plans and on God's people. Uh, there's a TV show that I uh, have enjoyed watching on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's called Last Chance You. Uh, it's a show about, uh, well, it's, these days it's about American football and basketball, but the one I've been most excited about was American football. And Last Chance You is about uh, how in America there's a college football system and you've got the people who are in the first-tier colleges and they're the ones who are like the really big 
colleges who play football and everyone goes to watch their games. But then a lot of the talented players sometimes flame out, they get kicked out because they get in trouble with the law or they don't do well in their studies. And so then they go to a second tier college. And if they get kicked out of that, then they have no chance to continue on in their football career. And so this is their last chance university. And so it follows this uh, show is a documentary that follows a team uh, through their uh, season and looks at the stories of these players. It's really fascinating. Uh, but in the first season, there's this uh, college called the East Mississippi Community College, and they are amazing at American football. Uh, they, have, they win every game by 40 to 50 points. And uh, towards the end of the season, and I'm going to give you spoilers here, but um, you know it's been out for a few years, so... You, You'll be okay. Uh, they get to the, towards the end of the season and they're on their way to the playoffs. They get to their very last game before the playoffs and they're playing this team that has no chance of winning. They have no chance of winning, beating them, no chance of getting to the playoffs. Their season is effectively over, but they love to play dirty. And so all the coaches say to the East Mississippi Community College players, they say, they're going to play dirty. They're going to give you late tackles. They're going to do things which are illegal. They're going to try and make you angry. They're going to try and goad you into a fight. Do not give in to them. Because if you do, you might not make it to the playoffs. And so for, for the beginning of the game, for a while, they're doing really well. They're, they're winning the game. Uh, they're definitely trouncing this terrible team. And the team is doing exactly what the coaches said they were going to do. They are doing late tackles. They're being violent. They're goading them into a fight until eventually it works. And one player snaps and starts to fight with another player. And then all, all the other players from the, uh, the, the losing team join in. And so then all the players from the winning team, the East Mississippi Community College team, they all dive in and they start the fight too. In the, and then everybody is on the field fighting. It makes for great television, but it's terrible uh, for the East Mississippi Community College people because because of this, they get kicked out of, uh, well, they, they get disqualified, they can't go into the playoffs, and they lose just as badly as the other team. This team, who has no chance of winning, is going to do everything they can to destroy the chances of the winning team just because they can. And that's what Satan is doing. He knows he is defeated. He knows he cannot win, but he will do everything he can to destroy the good work that God is doing. And he does that mainly with his words, by inserting lies in our heads, by tempting us to sin, by giving us half-truths, by trying to break down relationships between Christians. And if he can't stop us from following Jesus, he can't take away our salvation, and he can't, he can do everything he can to make it so that other people don't want to join in with what God is doing. You only have to look at the damage that has been caused in this world by the sin of Christians to see how Satan has been achieving things. People don't want to follow Jesus because they've seen this, the things that the church has done. And that is the work of Satan. And so we need to be people who stand against Satan so that we can be people who, who engage well with this world, who don't fight against the wrong enemies and who do everything we can to advance the gospel, to advance God's kingdom with the power of God. And so how do we do this? Well, the great thing is that we see in verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We don't have to do it ourselves. It doesn't say be strong yourself. 
doesn't say go into, with your power and go and defeat Satan. It says you, you are strong in God's power. And when, when it says, the other thing it says is that we, it's so that we might stand against the devil's schemes. It's not so that we might go and defeat Satan. He's already defeated. We don't have to go and find Satan wherever he is hiding and destroy him. We don't have to invade Satan's hometown and then drag him out of his Satan palace and pull down the the Satan statue. We don't have to do any of that. God has taken care of all of that. All we have to do is to stand. And so how do we stand? Well, we put on the armor of God. That's what we do. We put on the armor of God, which is good to know because when it says the armor of God, it tells us whose armor it is. It's not my armor and it's not your armor, it's God's armor. And that's pretty good because if anyone's going to have good armor, it's going to be God's armor. Uh, some of you may have uh, seen Spider-Man. Uh, if you haven't, let me tell you about Spider-Man. This is the, uh, I'm actually blanking on the first, Spider-Man home, what's the Spider homecoming? No, what's the, the first Spider-Man with Tom Holland in it? It is homecoming. Yeah, it's just there's so many different Spider-Man home, home, no way, home, far from home. Yeah, homecoming. Okay, Spider-Man homecoming. I think this is right. Uh, now I'm getting all my Spider-Mans confused. Anyway, the point is, the first time Spider-Man is going out, he's doing his thing, he's, he's trying, to, you know, trying to fight against crime, being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then he uh, gets recruited by Tony Stark, who is a billionaire uh, superhero who is Iron Man. And when, uh, and when he needs, when Tony Stark, oh, no, this is in Civil War. Sorry, I'm, I'm really, anyway, uh, when he's, <laughs> this is not important, really. <laughs> but, but it is, it, okay. Anyway, he gets recruited to go, to go and fight with Tony Stark. And then Tony Stark says to him, he looks at, you know, he's, he knows what Spider-Man has been wearing. He's going out wearing a hoodie and his own goggles and his own web shooters that he's made himself. And he's like, you know, you're not going to go fight in that onesie. I'm going to give you a new suit. And, uh, and Iron Man gives him a billionaire's suit, which is much better than his hoodie, funnily enough. And he, he is given exactly what he needs to, to fight against the other superheroes and, you know, it's... Civil War, so there's a lot that happens. That's not important. The important thing is that he gets the best armor possible, and that's what we get from God. Uh, in, um, in Isaiah, it tells us about God's uh, armor. It says this in Isaiah 59. It says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. It sounds fairly familiar to what we just had read to us. This is God's armor that we get to put on. God gives us only the best to be able to stand against Satan. So let's have a quick look at what these pieces of armor are that we get. And you'll notice that most of them are around the idea of knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what God has done for us, knowing the truth about who we are so that we can stand. Because we are standing against Satan's lies and accusations. And so the first one we have is the belt of truth. And the belt of truth uh, is, you know, holds your pants up, so that's helpful. You know, puts the, puts the whole outfit together. It's great. But the belt of truth is, is the first thing you want to put on. You need the belt of truth because you need truth to know that you might, st- who you are in Christ. 
In Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians is all about who God is and what He has done for us and who we are in Christ and how He has saved us and how He has brought us together in Christ, how we're unified in Him. And it's that truth that we need to know so that we might stand against Satan's lies. And so we put on truth, knowing who we are, that we are saved by Jesus, knowing that other people are not our enemies, knowing that other Christians are our brothers and sisters, knowing that Jesus has defeated Satan at the cross, knowing uh, that, that when we sin, we are forgiven, knowing that we are safe in Jesus. We put on all this truth. We know this truth. And this is the first, uh, the first step in our protection so that we might stand against the schemes of Satan. Next, we have the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate is pretty important because if you imagine yourself and where all your vital organs are, they're not in your legs and they're, they're not in your arms. There is at least one in your head. Uh, but if you, you know, you, you need to protect your vital organs in your chest. And if you get shot in the chest, you're going to be in trouble. If you're in an action movie, you got shot in the arm, shot in the leg, you'll be fine. You can run around and keep fighting. But the chest is what you need to protect. And so we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what protects our life in our breastplate of righteousness? It's righteousness. And it's Christ's righteousness. In Romans 3.22, we're told that righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. When we trust in Jesus we are made righteousness with the righteousness of Jesus. So when Satan accuses us and says, you are not good enough for God, you are not righteousness enough to be part of God's family. I know the things you think. I know the things you've done. You say, it's not my righteousness that makes me right. It is Christ's righteousness. That's what protects my life. That's what keeps me safe. I will live because Christ lived and died and rose again for me, not because of me, but because of him. We are safe because of what Jesus has done. And so we take hold of the righteousness of Christ and knowing that that keeps us alive. Next, we have the shoes of the gospel. It says in verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we put on the shoes of the gospel and this uh, means that we know the good news of what Jesus has done. And, um, and if we're, our job is to stand, then we stand firm knowing that, we, that Jesus has won a victory, that he beat, defeated Satan at the cross. We stand firm because we don't need to retreat when, Jesus, when Satan attacks us. Don't get them confused. We don't need to run away. We can stand firm because we know that, that Jesus has won the victory. The, the, the word for gospel is this word that people would proclaim when a, when a victory had been won. And this is what we continue to proclaim in our life, that Jesus has won the victory. He has defeated Satan, sin and death at the cross. And so we can stand firm knowing the good news of Jesus. And we can even be ready to use those feet fitted with the gospel of peace to go and share the good news with others so that they too might be able to stand in the truth of what Jesus has done. Then we have the, the shield of faith, uh, which it says, uh, it, you, with, with it you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, the shields uh, that uh, they had in Roman times when Paul was writing this were often these like big kind of uh, rectangular things, uh, which were about this high. And they were covered in uh, leather and they would often soak them in water uh, so that when uh, the enemy might shoot arrows at them, 
Uh, they could extinguish arrows if they were flaming arrows, or they could lock their shields in together and so the enemy couldn't attack. And so if Satan is shooting his arrows of lies at us, shooting his half-truths, shooting his accusations at us, then we hold on to faith, faith in God, faith knowing that God is who he says he is. The first thing that Satan did in the garden was saying to Adam and Eve that God is not who he says he is. God is not as good as he says he is. God does not have his best for you. But we have faith in God and in his character. And this faith is a gift from God, as we read in Ephesians 2. So we hold on to this gift that God has given us, knowing that God is good. And, and everything else comes from that. And we will be able to stand. And then finally, we have the last piece of the armor. And this, as you may have been told, if you've ever heard this preached on before, this is the only offensive weapon uh, in the whole of the outfit. And this is uh, the sword of the spirit, which is, oh no, I've totally missed the helmet of salvation. Anyway, we'll get to the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive piece of the armor. But then there's the, the helmet of salvation. So we have our last vital organ, which is in our head. Maybe it's not our last vital organ. I'm noticing there are lots of doctors in the room who might be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. They don't teach us things like this at Bible college. But anyway, we have our helmet. And the helmet of salvation, helmet is important for your uh, sense of confidence. Uh, this is my experience, at least. In all the battles I've been in, and it's been very few, but there has been at least one, and that was at a Bucks party where I went to do paintball. And uh, when we went to play paintball, I, in like the first like, kind of three seconds, I kind of stepped out, I looked around a corner, and then a paintball went poom, straight in and hit me straight in the head. I was like, oh, man, that hurt. I was like, I'd be terrible in a war. I'd be dead within the first three seconds. And, uh, and, and, but it made me really nervous after that because like every time I'd like look out around a corner, I'd be like, oh, am I going to get hit in the head? Uh, like I was wearing goggles, so it was okay. But, you know, it, it still was painful. And I assumed that getting hit in the head with something more than a paintball would be even more painful. But if you have a helmet, then you have confidence. You can stick your head around a corner. And, you know, these days you know, we have more advanced weapons. But in, in Paul's day, you'd have quite a lot of confidence from the helmet that you could wear on your head. You can poke your head up. You can have a look around. You can see what's going on. You have confidence. And the confidence that we get is in the confidence of our salvation. We can be confident in, in our telling of other people about Jesus. We can be confident in loving our neighbor. We can be confident in loving our enemy, in forgiving people who have hurt us, into, in healing uh, disunity in the church, in sharing the good news of Jesus. We can be confident because we know that we are safe in Jesus. Whatever else happens to us, whatever bad things come to us, we have the most important thing is that we have life in Jesus, that we have forgiveness in Jesus, that we are children of God, we have resurrection in Jesus, we have the confidence of salvation, we put on the helmet of salvation. Then finally, we have uh, the sword of the Spirit, which you may have heard preachers preach about about five minutes ago and say it's the only uh, offensive weapon in the armor of God. And that's true because what we need to defeat Satan uh, is something uh, which can defeat his lies, and that is the Word of God. And you'll notice that the sword of the Spirit, is this is a close quarters weapon. This is what you have you know, when you're fighting uh, close up. This is not like the arrows of the Spirit or the you know, 
rocket launcher of the Spirit. This is not far away stuff. This is close in when Satan's right in your ear, when Satan's tempting you, when Satan's accusing you, when Satan's lying to you. What are you going to do to defeat Satan there? Well, Jesus gives us a great example of how the, the Word of God is used as a sword when he is tempted in the wilderness. You might, have, you might remember in, um, in Matthew chapter 4, when, when Jesus is tempted by Satan, the way that he defeats Satan is by quoting Scripture to him. Now, Jesus is the Word of God. If Satan turns up to Jesus, Jesus would just go away. I don't want you here. And Satan's like, oh, well, I got to do that because you are the Word of God. But Jesus quotes the Bible. He doesn't have to do that, but he chooses to do it. And I think he does it. I don't know this. He hasn't told me this, but I'm fairly, I think he does it to show us how we fight, to show us how we use God's Word so that we might be able to respond to Satan. So that when Satan tells us that we're terrible people, we say, no, I remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we're, taught, when we're encouraged to lie like Satan, we say, no, we're called to, to live truthful lives. We see in Ephesians chapter 4. When, when, when Satan tells us that someone else is our enemy, we say, no, I remember that our enemy is not an enemy of flesh and blood. When he tells us that someone in the church, you know, is trying to de destroy the church, we say, no, we've been unified in Christ. We're going to sort this out. We remember the good news of what God has said to us. And, we re and if we memorize scripture or we memorize the concepts of scripture, we're able to use this uh, to respond to the lies of Satan. So, Spend time in God's Word. Spend time memorizing Scripture. Spend time knowing the truths of what God has done for you. And you will be able to fight against Satan. You will be able to stand firm. And so then it tells us, uh, all of this is, is told us in the big picture of to put on the full armor of God, it says in verse 11. And the important thing to know is that the only way this is useful is if we put it on. The only way armor is useful is if it is, you know, the, the helmet is on our head, the belt is around our waist, the breastplate uh, is, is on our chest. Uh, you know, the, this is the only way that is useful. Uh, in my bag, I have an umbrella. And uh, it's been in my bag for years. And, uh, and I carry it around with me pretty much everywhere I go. And because this is Melbourne, semi-regularly it starts to rain for no reason at all, just to be annoying. And then as I'm walking along, I'm like, oh, I, I, one, I either forget that the umbrella is there, or two, I remember the umbrella is there, but it's at the bottom of my bag, and so I don't get it out. It's, like it's still got the tag on it from when I bought it. And one time, it started raining. I'm like, I could get the umbrella out, but then, you know, the tag's still on it. Like, it's still good. Like, if I take it out, it won't be very, you know, it'll be a used umbrella then. So I could still be good if it stays in my bag. It's a useless umbrella while it lives in my bag. And the armor of God is useless unless we put it on. And so how do we put it on? I'm just making sure that's not me dinging. No, okay, good. It's okay if you're dinging. It just didn't want it to be me. Um, so how do we put it on? Well, we remember and we hold fast to the truth of who God is. We hold fast to what God has done for us in Jesus. And we resist the lies of Satan and we pray. Notice at the end uh, of this passage, Paul asks for prayer. He says, Pray in the spirit of all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And he asks specifically for prayer for him.
one of the ways that we are supplied in this fight is through prayer. Because God answers prayers and He'll give us what we need. He will will be with us in times of trial, times of temptation, times of testing. Prayer is our supply lines in the battle. Napoleon once said that an army marches on its stomach. The only way that an army actually wins a fight is if it has good supplies coming to it regularly. Uh, Just to go back to another World War II illustration, because for some reason that, you know, Preachers love World War II illustrations. In World War II, uh, the Allies decided that to, to defeat the Japanese uh, uh, forces, uh, instead of just trying to bomb their naval ships, they would bomb their supply ships. And so they bombed about 200 Japanese naval ships in the war, but they in, bombed over 1,100 Japanese supply ships. And by the end of the war, uh, some people thought there were only around two days Uh, worth of uh, like fuel supplies for Japan to keep fighting the war because getting supplies is how you are able to to win a battle and we need supplies if we are going to stand firm and so those supplies come to us through the power of God and so we need to be people who pray pray in the spirit on all occasions when you are tempted pray say God I'm feeling tempted please help me When Satan is accusing you and you feel like you don't know the Bible well enough to respond and say, God, help me to remember your word or just, you know, just get it done. (laughs) When someone is angry at you, say, help me to love them. When someone, you know, is loving you, say, help me to continue to love them. When you come to church, say, help me to focus on Jesus and not on all the other things that's going on. When Satan is telling you you're not good enough, say, God, remind me of the love of Jesus. Whatever, whatever is happening in your life, pray and pray and pray and pray because that is where you get your supplies from. That is how you stand firm in the fight, asking for supplies as you put on the full armour of God and you will be able to stand. You are assured that you will stand because Jesus has done everything needed for you to stand. But as we stand firm and we resist Satan, we will also help others to stand and help others to know the love of Jesus so that they too might be welcomed into his kingdom. They too might become children of God. They too might be people who know the truth of Jesus and are rescued uh, in, because of what Jesus has done. How about I pray for us that we might be people who are able to stand. Our Father God, we thank you for uh, this uh, passage. We thank you for Ephesians and the way that it encourages us Uh, to know you, to know what you have done. I pray that as we are people who face the battles that are around us, that we will know that ultimately our battle is not against other people, but against uh, Satan and his forces. We thank you that uh, Jesus, your son, has defeated Satan at the cross. And so all we must do is to stand. I pray that we will be able to stand, to know the truth of what you have done for us, to hold fast against Satan's lies, to be able to stand so that others may see your goodness. I pray that we might be people who live for you, knowing the truth of you, uh, so that uh, we might uh, be people who are standing at the end. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.